It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. We're involved in a series of messages called The Way. And I'd like to continue with that series today. We're doing The Way partly because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. If you've ever studied that, what's interesting about that is there are scholars who say, I am the way, and that's one picture. I am the truth, and that's a separate picture. And I am the life, and that's a third picture. I like that. Then there are scholars who say, well, really, Jesus is saying the same thing three times. When he says, I am the way, and we understood that the way in the first century was understood as that the Torah scrolls were known as the way. I am the way, the word became flesh, which is truth, which is light. A light shines in the darkness. And so that Jesus is saying the same thing three times in describing himself. We picked up on I am the way. Last week, we looked at this really, I think it's a fascinating verse from Isaiah chapter 2 where Isaiah says something like this, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains. Now, if you've ever been there, you know that Mount Moriah is the smallest, the western hill, you can look down on it, and Mount of Olives, you can look down. It's not the biggest of the hills, it's the smallest of the three hills, but it's gonna be established as chief. And I don't think because it's talking about necessarily geography, I think it's talking about its importance, because people are gonna see the importance of the mountain of God. In the last days, the mountain of the house of God will be established as chief amongst the mountains. It will be raised above all other hills. And many peoples will say, come, let us go to the mountain of God. Let's go to the house of the God of Jacob. For there he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And the Torah, the law, the way will, will go from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God will judge amongst the nations. He will settle disputes amongst the peoples. And, and the peoples, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. And they'll, they'll beat their spears into pruning hooks. And, and, and no longer will nation take up sword against nation. Because, nor will they ever train for war anymore. Because they don't have to. they got a good judge, a fair judge. And then there's this imperative. So come, O house of Jacob. Walk. That's an order. Walk in the light of the Lord. And so it's a desire to walk in the light of the Lord. It's a desire what those nations had when they came streaming to the mountain of God. It's a it's desire to know his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Now, God has a path for each and every one of us, and my path is different than your path, and your path is different than his path, and his path is different than her path, which is different than my path. We all have different paths. Now, our paths can intersect for a while, and they may be similar in some regards, but each of us have our own path, and that I understood. I, I remember standing on the Judean mountains with all these paths of righteousness teaching that, and that each of us have different paths, and what I have to know, even though I may not understand your path, what I need to know is, are you following the shepherd? 
That's what I need to know. So there are some who have ministries in Nigeria where there is bloodshed, where there's a persecution. There are others who have ministries in Seattle where there's so much spiritualism, but there's nothing for God, not for Jesus Christ. And there's those who have ministries in Western Michigan, the Bible Belt of the CRC and RCA, and it looks, those are different paths. What I need to know is, are you following the shepherd? And that struck us last week because we talked about how Isaiah says that the nation said, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us his way, so we may walk in his path. And the word for way, his way. Jeremiah talks about, when you come to a crossroad, says Jeremiah, choose the ancient paths. Okay? And so you come to a crossroad and you say, well, which way should I go? Go that way. So he may teach us his ways, which God's basically could be saying, God's saying, go that way. Or the word could also be translated this way, and I kind of like this too. You know, your, your child comes home after curfew, and they come home, they left their room undone. They were supposed to have their room done, and their homework isn't done, and, and they're coming in late. And a godly parent would be asking, Lord, in what way do you want me to handle this? Do I put the hammer down? Do I listen? Do I challenge? People of God, we all know that leadership, whatever level, in a family or corporate or ecclesiastical, is never reactive. The leadership of God is always proactive. And so we're asking, in what way should I handle? And I like that. Beloved, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things have been made. And apart from Him, nothing's been made that's been made. And in Him is life. That life is the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. You could also translate that word as the darkness has not overcome it. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what we're here about, isn't it? We're here because we want to learn so that we can be the message. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only full of grace and truth. Hear these, for these are the very words of God. In that day, a song will be sung throughout the land of Judah. And it's this. We have a strong city. For God has made salvation its ramparts and its walls. So open the gates so the righteous nation may come in that nation who is faithful. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Say these words after her. Say, trust in the Lord forever. Trust in the Lord forever. Stop. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord. For the Lord. The Lord. The very words of God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Open up your Bibles, would you please, to Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. In that day, it says, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Now let's just stop there for a second. We have a strong city. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated for city means city. And like any city, 
in the ancient period, if you have a strong city, it's usually strong because it has walls. And a city is a place where a number of people live. A village doesn't have as many people. A town has more people. A city has even more people. In that day, a song will go out through the land of Judah. We have a strong city. The word city in Hebrew, ear, the word ear in Hebrew comes from a word meaning excitement. People like to go to New York City for the weekend or to Chicago for the weekend because there's the Miracle Mile. There's shopping and there's, there's entertainment. There's Broadway. Uh, there's plays. And, and even one of the greatest pleasures one could ever go to is professional hockey game. You could go to these places and see these things. It's a lot of excitement in these cities. and that's, so, so the word excitement is tied to the concept of city because there's a lot of people, and with a lot of people, there's a lot of excitement. But this city, this city that Isaiah is talking about, may not necessarily be a geographical city, so to speak. It's the city of God because God has made, what does your Bible say? God has made what? Its walls. Salvation. God has made salvation its walls and its ramparts. If you have your own Bible, and every time you see the word salvation, at least in your mind, Yeshua, salvation, every time you see the word salvation, this is the Hebrew way of saying Jesus. God has made Jesus its walls. He has made Jesus its ramparts. That's why we have a strong city. Now, the city of Jericho is the oldest city. It's about 10,000 years old as one would measure cities by walls. It's the oldest walled city in the world. City walls, I mean, they protect the city. The best thing to do if you really want to protect your city is put walls all the way around it. Now, the problem with putting walls all the way around it, you can't get out. Nobody can get in. What you need to get out and in, I mean, this is pretty obvious, but i am just got to go there for a moment with you. You need a gate. I love taking people to... Um, to the gate complexes at Katsor. These are what's called Iron Age or Solomonic gate complexes. What these gates are is there's several chambers, two stories, so that when the gates are open and people come in, they can only come in so far, and where they are, it's under the arrow and the eye of the soldiers above. They are in a kill zone because once you open up those gates, your city's vulnerable. So you don't open up the gates that often. And when you do open up the gates, you want to protect because, because if you have a strong city, it will be the envy of an enemy. And that enemy will want to come in and they'll want to see what your food supplies are. They want to see where your water supply, most importantly. They want to see where, where's the best place of attack. And if you had strangers inside of your city, that's very disconcerting. That kind of helps you with the story of Lot, if you know the story of Lot that well. But Lot was living in a city called Sodom and then there were two strangers that came in. They were angels. They were coming to spy out the city. And they got past the city gates. Somebody said, I saw them. They were over at Lot's place. So everybody got together and said, we want to, where, what are you doing with these guys? Same thing with Rahab. Rahab at Jericho. The children of Israel are just across the Jordan River. And, and Joshua sends two spies. And they come into the city. And they get beyond the gates. They get beyond the gates. They're inside the city. It's, just, it's messing with them. Where are those guys? Where are they, Rahab? It's very disconcerting to have people spy out your city. So that when you see in Isaiah chapter 26, in that day, a song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. For God has made Jesus its walls and its ramparts. What's your Bible say next? Open the gates. Just open them up. 
Come on in. Just open them up. That's how strong the city is. That's how strong the city is. With Jesus as our wall, with Jesus as our rampart, there's nothing to fear. Bring it on. Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi once. Very pagan place. Every once in a while, I get a chance to go there. We went couple of weeks ago with the January group. I don't often get a chance to go there just because of timing and everything. But at Caesarea Philippi is a place called the Gates of Hades. And then Jesus says to his disciples when he's in that contact, who do people say that I am? Ah, some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say another prophet. Who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you are Christ, son of the living God. And he says that at a place called Caesarea Philippi where there's this, at the foot of Mount Hermon, there's this whole what's called the Rock of the Gods, which had been for, for millennia a pagan place of worship because the water just gushed out of the bottom, and, and it was a pagan. And at the time of Jesus, it was one of the gods that was worshipped. There was Pan, and I won't even talk to you about the shepherd god Pan, half goat, half man, and how they worshipped and what they did, but it was just horrible. In fact, rabbis of the first century said that not even the Messiah would go to the gates of Hades because it's so blasphemous, it's so pagan there, and our Messiah goes goes to the gates of Hades. Who am I am? And Peter says, you are Christ, son of the living God, as if all these gods don't even exist, but you, son of the, and Jesus, on that, I will build my church and not even the gates of Hades can withstand. In other words, God's people are on the offense and the gates of Hades will fall. Well, the gates of our city, they won't fall. We'll just open those babies up. We'll just open them up. And that speaks to who our Jesus is. That speaks to what he's all about. That speaks to his ramparts and his walls, and we just open up the gates, and we open up the gates so that everybody can go in. What does your Bible say? Who can go in? Righteous nation. So the gates are open. We're vulnerable, but we can be vulnerable because we're strong. But don't think just because the gates are open, everybody can come in. Only the righteous nation. You know what's interesting about that? Nation, in my Bible, is singular. Is it singular in yours? In my Bible, it's the righteous nation. A lot of times when I'm memorizing, I notice, and the nations will, and the nations will, but here, only the righteous nation. When you have an ancient city, what the gates do is the gates, when they're closed, they protect the city. When they're open, they're a place of commerce. What the gates are, really, fundamentally, it's, it's that point where the residents of the city meet the world. Because the moment you step outside those gates, you're outside of the walls, you meet the world. That's where the world meets you. So the gates are for those who belong to the city to come in. And I just thought, well, isn't that a neat picture? Uh, the same spirit who makes us echad, one. One with God and one as, how's that end? One as the the people of God are one nation. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter how it is you come here, you come in here in the name of Jesus Christ. You're open to listening to his word, to his gospel. You're open to his spirit moving in your life. You come here. These gates are open wide. You belong here. God doesn't bring you to a place like this to beat you down. He brings you to a place like this so we can begin again. Oh, there are no do-overs, but there are begin-agains. This is a place of beginning again. That's our city. That's our song. Our song is our city whose walls 
our salvation, Jesus, whose ramparts are salvation, Jesus, and because it's Jesus, the gates are open wide so the righteous nation may enter because that's their city. It's where, it's where they belong. Then it goes on. You will keep in perfect peace. In Hebrew, it doesn't say literally perfect peace. In Hebrew, it says shalom, shalom. In Hebrew, if you want to emphasize something, what you would do is, is one of the ways you would do it is you would repeat it. And that's why the translators translate it as perfect peace. It's, it's shalom, shalom. It's, it's, it's the ultimate harmony with God. Harmony with God, no matter what context you find yourself in. That's why it's so important to, to learn his way so that we may walk in his paths so that our harmony with God, our shalom with God will be, what's it say? You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, is solid. Why? Because he trusts in you. Now that word for trust in that passage, say this word after me, batach. Batach. Batach is the word for trust. You can trust other things. The moment you trust something else, the moment you batach anything but God, that batachin is idolatry. Batach should only be, according to the biblical narrative, directed towards God. Do you remember that passage in Psalm 115 uh, talks about idols? They have eyes but don't see. They have ears but don't hear. They have mouths but don't speak. They have hands that don't feel. They have feet that don't move. They have throats that don't utter the sound. Everybody who makes them will be like them. In other words, they'll have eyes and don't see. They'll have ears and don't hear. They'll have feet don't move. And all those who trust in them, batach in them. doesn't matter how nice our songs could be and how articulate the pastor can be and how much we pray and all this I think our, our worship of God is paganism if we don't have God's eyes to see if we don't have God's ears to hear if our feet aren't walking in his ways you, I mean you can wash the whole thing with Christianity and never catch Christ and I gotta tell you you can tell the God who you're worshiping by how sensitive you are to the cries of the poor how much you see and how it motivates your hands. That's the righteous nation. You keep in perfect peace. You keep in shalom, shalom. One who is steadfast because he puts his trust in you. Love that. Verse 4. Trust. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. You see that? If we had more time, I'd say, well, tell me, what do you notice about that verse? And I know one of you would say, you know what, George, you know what I notice? I notice that we've been talking before that sometimes God refers to himself as capital G, cap, little O, little D. And there are other times when God refers to himself as, as capital L, little O, little R, little D. Those are different Hebrew words. God is Elohim. Lord, capital L, little O, little R, little D is Adonai. But that's not what's here. What's here, they're all capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. That's God's covenantal name, George. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, you know, it's like you say, we can call you pastor. We can call you George. We can call you Mr. DeYoung, Reverend DeYoung. We can call you a lot of things, but one thing we can't call you. What's that? We can't call you dad. There's only four people who can call you dad. That's your daughters and your sons-in-law. Yeah, this is God's covenantal name. This is the name that God gives to those who are in that relation. This is God's promise name. This is God's commitment name. This is God's commitment name. And what this says is trust, batach, 
in, commit yourself to the God who's committed himself to you. And then you'll, somebody else will say, yeah, but look at, it says it three times. Three times in one verse we have the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And if you think shalom, shalom is emphasis, I'm telling you, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is emphasis. I love this passage of Scripture, and I love it because I got a chance to study it. I love it because it's part of God's Word, and I always learn new things from it. There's something in this passage of Scripture that moved the ball down the field for me a little bit. It's one of these questions that I've been asking for a number of years. I'm not saying this is the total answer, but it helped me. It blessed me this week. I have it on trips, and I have it with you every once in a while, too. We come across Hebrews chapter 11. You know Hebrews, it's, some call it the hall of fame of faith. It's, it's all Abraham had faith, Moses had faith, you know, all these people had faith. And then the chapter comes, and near the end of the chapter, these words. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. This is all fellow believers that we stand on. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskins, goatskins, destituted, persecuted, and mistreated. And then it says this. The world wasn't worthy of them. And here's my question. Where does that come from? Where do people like that come from? Because they're not born that way. Where do people come from? who have the kind of faith that though they may not realize the result of everything that they put all their heart, all their soul, all their strength into, that they've followed God as passionately as they possibly could, and, and, they, and they get to their Jordan River and they don't get the cross. They don't even, it doesn't even look like a Jordan River. They didn't get what Moses was given, a scoping out of the entire land. They don't even have that. They just... It looked like everything was darkness. It just all they could cling to was their faithfulness. Where does that come from? And, and the writer to the Hebrews said, I'm telling you, we have those who have gone before that, you know what? We're not worthy of them. There was a story of David and his mighty men, and they, uh, they had unified just basically the entire land of Israel except for the tribe of Benjamin. That's understandable because the previous king, Saul, was of Benjamin. And it's understandable why Benjamin would be a little bit hesitant to take David as king. They would like to have a Benjaminite as king of Israel. But that wasn't God's will. And, and so David, David has to take this city, this Jebusite city called Jebus. And so his mighty men sneak in into that city at great risk of their lives. They take some of the water out of that city and they bring it back to David. And David sees the water. He says, you know, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of that. And he pours it out. I can't drink that water. It's too sacred. The writer of the Hebrews looks at the lives of those who've gone before and he says, you know what? The world was not worthy. It's not worthy of them. And yet those are precisely the ones that God gave to this world. And my question is, is where does that come from? Come with me. Verse 4. Trust in the Lord and the Hebrew for forever is time after time after time after time. Trust in him. For the Lord, or you could say, because the Lord 
in case you're wondering, the Lord is the rock eternal. He's the same yesterday. He's the same tomorrow. He'll never change. When God says, I love you, it's forever. And if there's any distance between me and God, it's not because God pulled away. It's because I've lived away from him. Now, one of the things that the evil one can do sometimes, and he does it with too great of success, because I just think we as the people of God, we've got to be a little more savvy. He comes up to us and says, you know, there's no way there's forgiveness for you for that. Not again. Not again. Not again. Now make no mistake, I'm, I'm not saying that we can go and just count on God's forgiveness, but you can count on God's forgiveness and abuse that because the Bible talks about that too. Paul says, are you going to crucify Christ again? No way. But understand, people of God, we endeavor to walk in his paths according to know it his way. One of the things you have to know in his paths for your life and for my life is that he will never leave us he will never forsake us. And all we have to do, if we're going in a way that is not of his, on a path not of his desire or his intention for our lives, we need to turn around, get on his path. And when you turn around, you will experience a reality that was always there, that God has always loved you with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. While we were yet sinners, he showed his love for you. And he shows his love for me. And that's simply the way of God. Would you please stand? Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. We bless you and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear you speak from your word. And what a magnificent word you have spoken to us. Yeah, because in that day, and you know what, Father? We, <laughs> that day is today. For we live in a strong city. We live in a strong city whose walls and ramparts are Jesus. And the gates are open wide. And Lord, the day will come when that righteous nation, that one people, together from, from every tongue, from every creed, will come together and enter that city because it's where they belong. But today, today we move out from that city and we go to the ends of the earth. And we will do so, Lord, trusting you. We trust the Lord for the Lord. The Lord is our rock eternal. We bless you and we thank you. And now, people of God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he lift up his face and be kind to you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance and give to you his peace, his shalom, shalom, now and forevermore. Amen. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. 
Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.